0: Because it probably didn't list the women and the children. So it was probably more than that. They, they, this crowd of people then, they go to Capernaum on the other side of the sea. They're looking for Jesus. And when they find him, they ask him, when did you get here? Like, we did you see you get in the boat? And Jesus answered them in, in such a, a, a just sweet way, right? He says in verse 26, you're seeking me because you want more food. You're going to notice a tone here throughout this text with Jesus, and I'm going to tell you he's probably going to shatter many of our uh, thoughts of him, and it's, and it's why we got to be so careful with video portrayals of Jesus that just kind of portray this one side of him. You'll see in this text, Jesus is very authoritative. He says in verse 27, do not seek food that perishes, instead seek food that endures. And he's about to get into it even more with this crowd, which we're going to see. But the first thing he says to them is, listen, you're only following me because you want food. I fed you yesterday, and now you want to know where I am so I can give you more food. Well, how do the people respond? How do they respond? They ask a question. They say, what do we need to do to be doing the works of God? Jesus responds in verse 29. Well, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he, God, has sent. So, this is what Jesus says. You're asking what it is you need to do to be doing the the works of God. This is the work of God. Believe in him whom God, whom he has sent. That's what he says. Now, you know he's referring to himself, but he's not, a lot of things Jesus does here is not explicit that's intentional. The people then respond and they ask in verse 30, what sign would you give us so that we can see the sign and believe you? If, if you're talking about yourself, then give us a sign. We'll see the sign and we will believe you. Now remember, let's step back. This was the day after he fed 5,000 people. And many of these people are the same. He had five loaves and two fish. And he also walked on water. Uh, and, and, and now they, they, they want a sign. And then the people mention something. They mention, well, you know, God gave our ancestors bread from heaven. And they say this because Jesus had just chided them for following him for food. So they're saying, okay, Jesus, you're telling us that we shouldn't be following you for food. Well, our our ancestors, they got bread from heaven. Manna. What they're referring to, if you're not familiar with is in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness. They didn't have food. And God provided food for them by allowing manna, which was a a bread-like substance, to fall from the sky, and it fed them. And again, if you're saying, oh, I can't believe that, Pastor, you're just wait. There's more coming. So now they say, give us evidence like that, Jesus. Jesus, if you would just give us a sign, we'll believe you. Why don't you make bread fall from heaven? Just like it happened for our ancestors. Now, Jesus could have answered there and he could have said, were you here yesterday? Did you not eat the food that I gave you? Did you not see what I did? He doesn't do that. He has other things in mind that he wants to teach them. And you're going to see how all of this connects to the story of Christmas. He says in verse 32, stay with me. It was not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now I want you to follow what's happening here in verse 32. He says, it's not Moses that gave you that bread from heaven, but my father gives, written in the present, you the true bread from heaven. And again, verse 32. So he refers back in the past Two, he gave you that bread. And then he says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then Jesus gives us the first of what I'm calling five key statements here. First key statement is this. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, you're going to have to stay with me as we talk about bread because there's a lot of metaf- metaphorical language here being used. Sometimes bread is referring back to the actual manna that fell, and and, and, and and much of this, Jesus is referring to himself. Now, that phrase, come down from heaven, that you see in verse 33, that should mean something to all of us as we've been walking through this series that is incarnation talk that is that is god incarnate talk what i'm trying to do is help you see as you're reading through the scriptures that you don't have to go to luke 2 for the christmas story it's all over this is christmas talk he's talking about when he came from heaven But notice the brilliance of Jesus here. These people, they want a sign. They want a sign like bread from heaven, like manna in the Old Testament. And then Jesus responds by telling them, the bread of heaven has come to you. The bread of heaven has come to you. He has come from heaven. And this bread from heaven gives life, gives life to the world. Now, now, you need to see what's happening here because, not a, again, Jesus isn't explicit, but it's very much implied, and I want, you to, I want to make sure you don't miss it. What's happening is this. Jesus is not enough of a sign for them. They want bread instead, and if they get bread, that'll be the sign. Now, I want you to step back from this and look at your own life because you say how foolish they were, right? How often do we do the same to Jesus? Yes, I know, Jesus, you're real. I know the the Christmas stories about you, you know, coming to earth in the flesh. But here's what I really need from you. And if you're real, you're going to give this to me. That's exactly what they're doing. They're saying Jesus is right in front of them. But what they really want is bread to fall from heaven. And Jesus is saying, bread from heaven came to you me. Am I not enough? Now the people respond because they don't understand what he's talking about. He knows that they don't understand. They respond in verse 34 and they say, sir, give us this bread always. (laughs) They have no idea. They're so tied up in the physical world. They're so tied up in their own needs, what they need from Jesus, that they're missing Jesus. Give us this bread always. Right? That's what they say. That brings us to our second key statement in verse 35. Jesus says, all right, you, 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 you're saying give us this bread always? Here, let me make it clear now. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Okay, so now he's getting a little bit more explicit. He was talking a little bit more figuratively, metaphorically. Now he says, I am the bread of life. That's pretty clear. So again, what is he doing? They want real bread from heaven as a sign. They want bread they can eat. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when people come to me, when they give their life to me, they no longer hunger for life. They they no longer thirst for life. Because I'm life. And then Jesus says in verse 36, you have seen me, yet you do not believe. He's standing right in front of them. They don't believe. You've seen me, but you don't believe. That's the issue. And it's, and it's the issue with us so many times, right? We have seen Jesus. We have seen him move. We have seen him work. But sometimes it's not enough for us. We want more. There are things we want from him. The bread of life is right in front of you. And you are all so focused. You are all, this crowd is so focused on physical needs that you've actually ignored the author of life right in front of you. And then he says in verse 37, all who have been given to me by the father will come to me. Now he's speaking theologically. He's I mean, so much of this, they're not following all who have been given to me by the father will come to me. That will happen. Jesus speaks that in a way that God will make it so that this happens. And what Jesus is doing here is he is speaking of the sovereignty of God in salvation, Those who are supposed to come to me will come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's making it clear that these people, they're not, you who are not believing, you're not among the elect. Your unbelief in me as I stand before you, you're proving it. And then in verse 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. There it is again incarnation God incarnate not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me the father He speaks of the father what is the will of the father what is the will of the father Jesus tells us that in verse 39 and 40 39 to lose nothing to lose no one that he's given me, but to raise it up on the last day. That's the first part of the will of the father. Second, everyone who looks on the son and believes should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So what's the will of the father? Jesus says, this is the will of the father. I'm not gonna lose any that belong to me. And everyone who looks on the son and believes should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. I will raise that person up on the last day. So again, what's happening here? What's happening is that the people are speaking and living in the temporal, the physical world. God is focused on the eternal and the spiritual. And that's why they're missing. The people are missing what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't confused here. They are. He knows exactly what is going on. He knows exactly what they're thinking. So how did the people respond to that? How did they respond to him saying what he just said in verses 39 and 40? How did the Jews respond? That's specifically how John writes this. They grumbled in verse 41. They grumbled. What did they grumble about? Don't miss it. What did they grumble about? They grumbled about God incarnate. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You can't say that, Jesus. You can't just say you came down from heaven. Why are they having such a hard time believing this? Why, why, why is that? If everything Jesus said, why is that such a hard thing for them to believe? Well, because he's Jesus, the son of Joseph. And Mary, he didn't come from heaven. What is he talking about? Look at verse 42. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother? We we know Mary and Joseph. They're friends of ours. Does he think we don't know who he is? How does he say I have come down from heaven? How does he say that? Do you see what's going on? They're they're denying what Jesus is saying about himself. They're saying he's not the incarnate God. They're saying his biological father is actually Joseph. His mother, Mary, We, we, we know who they are. He's a fraud. You see, they're blind because they don't see him for who he is. And in this statement, what these people are doing is they're denying the virgin birth. They're denying the incarnation. They're denying God incarnate. They can't believe that this simple Jewish man that is in front of them is God himself in the flesh. No way. So they don't believe it. And Jesus, what I want you to see is Jesus sees this unbelief as costing them eternal life with him. It's not a little thing to say, well, I don't really believe that Jesus is God himself in the flesh. That's, that's not a small thing, according to this text. How does Jesus respond to this unbelief? Let's see in verse, 40, verse 44, because it, it continues to escalate. You're going to see this, this uh, tension is escalating. The, the conversation is escalating. If, if there are those of you who are out there who are like, I don't really like conflict, you'd probably start to just start backing away from this. You know, you're, you're, you hear this happening. He says in verse 44, don't grumble. Only those the Father draws can come to me. They are the ones I will raise up on the last day. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you don't see and believe people because the Father has not drawn you. That's what what Jesus is telling them. Again, the sovereignty of God in salvation. And notice that Jesus doesn't beg them to believe either. Sometimes our evangelism makes Jesus not seem at all like God or the King or the Lord of Lords. He doesn't beg them to believe in him. He's never, Jesus is never desperate, never. He's not, he's not shocked by their unbelief or anything. He, he knows this is going to happen and we should never portray him that way in our evangelism. You don't portray Jesus as, as desperate, He knows why they don't believe. The father hasn't drawn you. That's what he tells them. And then he makes another key statement. The third one. This one has three parts to it. The first part is this. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. He alone has seen the father in verse 46. These people, these Jewish people think they know the father. And Jesus is going, You haven't seen him. I have. What's he referring back to? What's he talking about? He's referring back to the pre incarnate Christ. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was God, and he was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Amen? That's what he's saying. I don't need you to tell me about my father. He doesn't need a lesson on the father from these Jewish leaders. He knows. He alone knows because he alone is from God. That's what he's saying. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. That's the second part of that statement. Verse 47. Now, when, I, when, when, we, when he says that, we need to make sure we understand what believe means. We get this wrong a lot. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. Is Jesus saying, you need to believe that I exist? Well, of course they believe he exists. He's standing right in front of them, right? They can't say, well, uh, belief means that I just believe Jesus exists. No, you're standing there. I believe you exist. It's not what he means. He means whoever believes that I was sent from God, from heaven to you. That's what he's talking about. Whoever believes God incarnate. If you don't believe that, you don't believe. That's what he's saying. And then he says, I am the bread of life. How about verse 48? Is that about as simple of a verse as you can get? Notice that in your Bible? I am the bread of life, period. I am the one from heaven, sent from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the giver of eternal life. So he's blowing them away with all this. They don't agree with him. They don't like anything he's saying. And then Jesus goes back to the manna discussion. That bread that I was telling you about that fell from the sky to feed the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And he contrasts now the manna with the bread of life. We can't miss miss this contrast. What he does here. First, The first part of the contrast is your fathers ate the manna and they eventually died. Verse 49. Jesus may really want to watch his tone here. Right? I mean, come on. What are they going to say about him on social media after he says that? Can you believe he said that? He says your fathers ate manna and they died. That's nice. He wants them to understand where he's going next. Those, the second part of the contrast, those who eat the bread that comes down from heaven will not die. Verse 50. Jesus is not talking about physical death here. He's talking about eternal death. This concern again, he's at a spiritual level here. He's not in the physical, he's in the spiritual. And he's telling them, you want me to give you manna and you'll believe. But your fathers got manna and they died. I am the true bread from heaven and whoever eats from the true bread will never die. Isn't that better? And they don't get it. They're blinded. They're consumed with themselves and their needs. They don't, and they're so consumed with it, they don't see Jesus. They want real bread to fall from the sky. And if it does, they will believe. But the very bread of life is standing in front of them. The bread of life from heaven and they do not believe. Brings us to our fourth key statement. Verse 51, he has to say it again now. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I'm trying to make this even clearer to you. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this is the fourth key statement. Three parts to this one. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Again, he's making it clear. I am the incarnate God. I am God in the flesh. Why would you want manna instead? You have me. I'm here. I was born. I came. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Only Jesus offers eternal life. He is the bread of life. What he's telling them is you must taste and see that the Lord is good. It's spiritual language. It's not physical. He doesn't want to fill their bellies. He wants to fill their souls. And the bread I will give, the third, is the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So in order for you to live forever, I must die. My flesh must suffer, but I will live again. I will be raised back to life. And for those who believe in me, I will raise you also when you die. Now, I mean, he's he's at a level that they're just not, tracking with, but, but what you need to understand is they're not tracking. It's not because they need theological degrees. It's because they have unbelief. That's what you need to see. It's not that they need more uh, you know, training in school. What they need is more faith to believe because he's right in front of them. If they would just see him for who he is, they'd understand all of this, but they don't. So, how did the Jews respond to this? Because now he's getting even saying even harder things. Verse fifty-two: They argued amongst themselves. Here's what they said: How can this man give us his flesh? What is he talking about? And then Jesus tells them. He's you, you kind of if you, you want to have this picture in your in your mind, another metaphor in your mind. It's you know Jesus puts his, his foot on the gas and he's not letting up. The the, the accelerator's down. Because he tells them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood in verse 53. Now, if they didn't like already that he said that he's going to give his life uh, for the life of the world is his flesh, they're certainly not going to like that part. And again, he's referring to his death. He's referring to his resurrection. He's, he's even looking ahead to the ordinance of communion for all of us, where we remember his death by what? Eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. And, and, and the bread is a remembrance of his body, which is given for us. And the cup is a remembrance of his blood, which was spilled for us. There's so much unbelief. They're not following any of it. It leads us to the fifth key statement verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, bread that is not like the manna that our fathers ate, because they ate and died, but whoever feeds on this bread lives forever. Again, making it clear, he's the bread of life. He is God incarnate. Only through Jesus can you have eternal life in heaven. Which should be said, not everyone goes to heaven. That, that I, I know in a, in a church, that shouldn't be news. We should understand that and know that. But if you've noticed, you go to every funeral and everyone is in a better place. The reality is, what the scripture tells us, is that most do not. What Jesus is saying here is only those who believe and trust in Jesus, he alone is the bread of life. You don't believe and trust in Jesus. You do not have eternal life with him. You have life everlasting, but not with Jesus. Life everlasting in torment. So how did his followers respond to all that Jesus taught here? How did, how did they, I mean, he is, he is laying it on them. And again, the the accelerators down, he's not letting up verse 60. This is hard stuff. Who can accept it? Right? This, this is a hard saying. What, this is difficult, Jesus. This is hard. What, how do we take this in? Who can, who do you expect to really understand all of this? And not only understand it, believe it. So what did Jesus do, right? Your Bibles don't have this part, right? Where Jesus apologized. He said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry this is hard for you. I did not mean to make this hard for you. I am so sorry that these words hurt you. I'm sorry that these words offended you. I'm sorry that these words made you uncomfortable. I'm sorry that they made you afraid. You know what? I need to water down my message a little more. He didn't do any of that. Jesus was not trying to be likable. He was trying to be obedient. He was obedient, not trying. He was, he's God. And he doubled down on what he said. Remember, he's now talking to his many followers, those who had left the other side looking for him. And they're probably going, why did in the world did we do that? Jesus asks unapologetically, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Are you offended by this? Does this make you uncomfortable? Did this hurt your feelings? And then he continues in boldness in verse 62. And he says, what if you saw me ascend to where I was before? wow, in the middle of this, are you offended by what I just said? Well, what if I ascended to where I was before? What Jesus is saying here is, you, you think this is hard stuff to understand? You think what I'm telling you is difficult to comprehend? What if you saw me right now ascend to the place I had with the father before I became God incarnate. When you see that word before, the question you should ask yourself is before what? Before the incarnation. He's still talking about what we're celebrating. Before I became God incarnate, before Christmas what we celebrate at Christmas. What if right now, as he's talking to these people, they saw the incarnate Christ ascend to the place in glory where the pre-incarnate Christ came from in all of his glory. Jesus is saying, do you think that what I'm teaching you is hard to comprehend? Try comprehending that. Try taking in that. You have no idea of the glory I once had with the father. You have no idea what I laid aside. Philippians 2, going back to what we talked about two weeks ago. These followers are seeing a side of Jesus they are not familiar with. He doesn't back off. He keeps going. He puts an exclamation point in all that he just said in verse 63. He says, these words that I'm giving you right now, I have spoken. They are spirit and life to you. The flesh is no help at all. Look at verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Did you get that? The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life the only way to understand Jesus is through the spirit. He is the one who gives life. That means your flesh. That means your intellect, your law. No help. My words are, are, are spirit and life to you. But you have to believe. If you're out there and, you're, and your message to Jesus is, I need more signs. He, what we are celebrating Here is the greatest sign that God ever gave to humanity. His son became human flesh and came to us. The problem isn't that you need a sign. The problem is you have unbelief in your heart. So then what happened after this? What happened? Is your Bible talk about the revival that broke out after this? Where 5,000 souls were saved after Jesus said this? No, your Bible doesn't say that. If it does, get a new Bible. <laughs> not the one that, not the one we study. No revival broke out. 5,000 souls weren't saved. A bunch of people didn't rededicate their lives to Christ. No, look at what happened. after Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. But wait a minute, this is Jesus, the son of God. His sermons are perfect. They're not too long, they're not too short. They're always exactly what they should be. What happened? Maybe he didn't have a relational approach. He needed to be more relational. He needed a better tone. He needed more nuance. Not so theological, not so focused on truth. The reality is this. They left him because they didn't want the bread of life. They wanted manna. They wanted physical comfort. They wanted a free lunch. But they didn't want Jesus. He's not done yet. That should break our hearts. He's not done yet. He's still fired up. I'm just imagining you're, you're, you're one of the 12 here. This, was, this is what was happening to me as I'm going through this. He turns to the 12. Now, if Jesus is doing all this and, and I'm one of the 12 and he turns and looks at me, I'm going. <laughs> I, I don't want any part of this. What? He turns to the 12. His closest followers, the other people are leaving. They're walking away. He turns to the 12 and he says, what about you? Do you want to go too? Do you want to leave me too? Is it getting too hard for you? Wow. I mean, talking about somebody just seeing through your soul in that moment. Now take in Peter's response because he gets, you know, he hears it a lot when we look through the Gospels, right? But boy, he gets it right here. His response is our answer to the question that I started with in the beginning. What is Peter's response? Lord, to whom shall we go? He doesn't ask where we should go to whom else? Lord, who else are we going to follow? If we don't follow you, who else is worth following? That's what he says. Now, why does Peter respond this way? Because he realizes that only Jesus has the words of life, the words of eternal life. And and he says, we've believed that you are the Holy One of God in verse 68. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. We have believed. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. It's not, it's not belief in his existence. It's belief that you are bread sent from heaven. And when we eat, we give our lives to you. We no longer hunger and thirst for life. You are the holy one of God. No one else. Peter has it. Now I started by asking you, who or or why do you follow Jesus? I want to bring that question back to you now. Why do you follow Jesus? Peter's answer helps us because only Jesus has the words of eternal life because he's God in the flesh, the Holy one of God. Who else, who else are you going to turn to? Who else will you follow? Christians, we need to understand something. Many are turning their back on Jesus in the world we're living in. Just like those in John 6. It's too hard. How can, how can we hear this hard saying? Many are turning their back. Now don't for one minute feel sorry for Jesus. He's not asking us to. He doesn't need our pity. He is not any less God because people reject him. He is the king of all kings and he is the Lord of all lords. In fact, he tells us in John 6 that they rejected him because the father had not drawn them. They don't believe because they've not seen him for who he is. They are to be pitied, not him. So my question for all of us is when the world comes after you, because of your Jesus, which they will, it's happening more and more. When your career suffers because of this Jesus you follow and your workplace just can't tolerate it anymore, when your lifestyle suffers because of whatever reasons, whether it's work or in the neighborhood you live in, because of this Jesus you follow, what will you do? Parents, when your adult children don't understand you anymore because of this Jesus you follow, what will you do? When your parents, if you're grown up in a home where maybe you are the first generation Christian and your parents don't follow Jesus and they don't know what happened to their child because of Jesus in you, what are you going to do? When your boyfriend or your girlfriend says, This is getting too much for me. You're just way over the top into this Jesus stuff. It's either Jesus or me. What are you going to do? See, all of these are questions that I think can come to us as we look at this text. Because when Jesus looks at you and says, What about you? Will you leave me too? What will you say? Will you say as Peter did, Lord, to whom shall I go? Where else am I going? To whom else shall I go? All of these things that I'm describing are happening, right? They're happening. And we need to understand why we follow Jesus. Because only Jesus is the one sent from heaven. He is God incarnate, born of a virgin. And only he has the words of eternal life. He alone is the holy one of God. The one who gives life to the world. Only Jesus is life made flesh. So to whom else would we? Would we go? There is nowhere. For those of you who would say, you know, pastor, I'm not a follower of Christ, or at least I came in here that way. I've never given my life to him. I want to invite you to do that. I want to exhort you to believe, not just to believe that he exists. It's a historical reality that Jesus existed. But to believe that he alone is the one sent from God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. And he alone has the words of life for you. And if you trust in him, you will never hunger and thirst for life again. My hope and prayer is that these truths can help us celebrate Christmas with even more worship and substance. That it's not just some holiday But this is the day that Christians celebrate God himself coming into the world. And it changed everything. He changed everything. Let me pray. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are in awe of who you are, that you as the pre-incarnate Christ of heaven would come to earth. And as you stood before the people that they were looking at you and not believing, Lord, may that not be us. May may we find ourselves not looking right at you and not believing. May we not find ourselves looking at you and not wanting you, but wanting what you can give to us. And until you give us what we want from you, we will not believe. Lord, forgive us. For you are the bread sent to us from heaven. The Holy One of God. So Lord Jesus, we as a church, as your people, we want to worship you for who you are. We want to agree with you in every single way with who you have revealed yourself to be. And we are so thankful for your mercy and your grace upon us. Lord, we do agree with Peter. And we say, to whom else would we go? We want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like in this life, in this country, in this county, in our town, whatever it looks like, we want to follow you. We thank you for leaving heaven and coming to us for this wonderful celebration of Christmas that we have. Help us to celebrate it in the right way in your holy name. Amen.